Hello and welcome to Veds Unrestricted, episode 22, and it is Friday the 25th of June. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. My name's Dan Club, and I'm joined as ever by co-host David Comerford. So I'm going to catch up immediately with him because we missed an episode last week. I say we missed an episode. We had a week off um, in the lull between, I suppose, domestic action um, and the Euros really kicking in. But we're back in full swing now. So Dave, how are we? And how are you enjoying the Euros? I'm good. Uh, the only disappointment is that Scotland, Scotland went out, obviously, the last time we were we were on, I said that was going to be supporting them. And unfortunately, um, their journey ended pretty early. But, but yeah, um, I'm really enjoying actually, you know, watching the tournaments and having uh, having the kind of the break. And honestly, the few weeks between the Euros and the season ramping up again, I think will be kind of welcome. Not, not that that's anything against the Euros, which I think are great, but it will just be nice mm. to have a kind of a bit of downtime, I think. Well, you'd call it downtime, but I have a funny feeling that's when the uh, the transfer stuff's going to be kicking off, which is what we're going to come to a little bit later on in the episode. But first, I know, Dave, you've been speaking to Connor Williams this week, um, Everton fan, about the potential of Liverpool legend Rafa Benitez turning up at Goodison Park. Yeah, I spoke to, to Connor earlier this morning about it. We had to chat, chat and... Uh... Yeah, it's something that is, uh, I think, just as uncomfortable for, for them as it is for us, really. So, Rafa Benitez, who managed Liverpool for six years, was in the dugout for the greatest game in the club's history, is, by all accounts, closing in on the Everton job. Based on how the search has gone, it wouldn't be a surprise if there was another late twist in it, really, but it does look like it's going to be Benitez. I personally find it pretty unsettling, to be honest. Obviously, he's got a very impressive CV behind him. But, Connor, do you still regard him as one of the, the top managers? Uh, to be honest, uh, not anymore. Um, I know the last time he was in the Premier League, he was with Newcastle. Uh, and, obviously, transfers were... Money was tight then. So, he did okay on a budget. But um, I think Steve Bruce has come in and done as similar of a job. Um and then he went to China and it's not gone quite as well for him. Um, so I feel like he's slightly been left behind by the game. Um, but yeah, I also feel like it might be a last paycheck for him. It feels a bit like more like it suits. It's more because it suits him better because he loves Liverpool and his family lives local. Then he sees it as a challenge. Yeah. And I wanted to pick up on that, actually. Are you are you and kind of other Everton fans genuinely worried that then he says isn't going to be 100% committed to the job, especially because of the bond he has with Liverpool. Yeah, there is that worry. Like Obviously, um, every year, well, certainly for us, the derbies, it's you know, two days we look for in the calendar. Um, and there is that worry, and I've seen it a couple of times on Twitter, people saying, I can't see Rafa Benitez coming out or building up to the derby or after, hyping up the rivalry because of, um, because of the soft spot he has for Liverpool. Um, and I've seen a lot of people say the worst thing he could do uh, would be to, uh, you know, uh, compliment Liverpool. But because of who he is and the links he's got with the club, 
it seems like a real possibility uh, and that'll just add to the fume uh, in the Everton fan base. I was going to ask about the derbies actually. Do you think it's going to feel, certainly will from our point of view I think, but do you think it'll feel a bit surreal with essentially two Liverpool men in the dugout for the game? Yeah, I was, I was saying this to a couple of friends the other day um, when I was trying to explain the problem I have with it. It'll be surreal because I've seen, obviously you said it's a bit unnerving, but I've seen a couple of Liverpool fans um, as well saying, you know, they can't wait to see him, they're going to clap him and stuff. And for me, that's that's everything that's wrong with it. Um, leading into a derby, I want somebody who you guys are going to hate to come against or it's, you know, going to be a real so-and-so for you or rile you up. Um, and Benitez isn't somebody you're going to get riled up at because, like you said, a lot of uh, Liverpool fans have such a found respect for him uh, and one of the best games um, in your club's recent history he was manager of. So there's, you know, that's, there's that respect that I don't think will go away. And I don't want that. I wanted somebody who would rile you up, build up to it, um, you know, sort of get under your skin. Yeah, I see what you mean. I think he's going to probably be quite good in terms of setting up the team to frustrate Liverpool in a way. So from like a tactical standpoint, but in terms of the actual atmosphere of the game, I think it will definitely change um, with Benitez there. Obviously, we've seen the the banners that have been displayed outside the ground, and that's you know kind of a bit of an extreme way of voicing your opposition. But do you think it's fair to say Benitez is almost walking into a toxic atmosphere, and that pretty much straight away his position is going to be a bit precarious? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I would say I don't know why you take it, but we're quite. I think we're quite an attractive job offer because we're probably gonna. In the past, we've been proven to give you know managers quite a nice contract, and if they don't see out their contract, we tend to pay them the compensation after we sat them, which is normally quite a nice amount as well. Plus, we've got a bit more money now, so I can see why we're an attractive offer for him. But I feel like he's going to be up against it from day one, um, more so than anyone else. You know, fans. He's gonna. This might be one of the first times I've seen fans have a hatred towards a manager before his team's even kicked the ball at Goodison Park. Um, and I have this really big fear that if Southampton uh, do beat us on the opening day, it's from there on, it, the fans will want him out. And eventually, when a fan when the fans want a manager out, they tend to end up getting it. Just one last question, kind of moving away from Benitez for a second. At the start of this process, which... Um, Back at the, the start of June, wasn't it really when uh, when Ancelotti left? It was reported that Gerard was one of the names under consideration. Obviously, we know now that nothing's come of that, and it never really seemed realistic. But you did have very reliable sources, obviously in touch with Everton officials, saying that he was a candidate. What was your reaction when you read that? That was a very slight possibility. Uh, I mean, you've got to laugh, haven't you? It's that. It's that out there. Um, like we obviously we're talking about Benitez not going down well, but could you imagine how badly that would go down? Um, like I, I, I can't understand who on the Everton board sees that as a good idea. Um, obviously he's done well with Rangers, but I feel like he only really in the Premier League I can only see him one in one job, and it's to join news at Liverpool. Um, so if he came to us, you'd always have that in the back of your mind of one, he loves Liverpool, uh, and two. If you came knocking, he'd leave us in a heartbeat. Uh, I don't think you'd have. I don't think you'd have to think about it. I think he'd jump straight away. Um, but it was it was laughable at our expense because I don't know who on the board uh, decided to you know mention that name. 
Uh, it's probably the similar people who are now batting for Benitez. Um, but I was quite shocked. Uh, and I'm quite glad that's not the option we're going down. Yeah, I think, honestly, even if Gerard had gone to any other Premier League club, that, that alone coming up against him will be uncomfortable for us. But to, to have him at Everton would just be, you know, a bit, a bit mind-bending, really. But, uh, yeah, thanks very much for uh, talking to me about this today. And uh, hopefully it's uh, hopefully he doesn't do too well, but hopefully it stays reasonably amicable because um, he's, he's a nice enough fella, at least. Brilliant. And our guest this week is Joanna Durkin, an editorial assistant for This Is Anfield. Joanna, how are you? And the same question, how are you enjoying the Euros so far? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, it's been interesting, the Euros. Um this seat this this summer I haven't I wasn't quite into it straight off the bat, but when you have them mm. like three times a day, it's quite nice to get back into the swing of football and kind of take a break from what was an exhausting Liverpool season, really. So yeah, it's been good. And I say I'm supporting England, but it's kind of tenuous. So we'll see how uh, Tuesday pans out though. Yeah, tenuous is a pretty accurate word to describe <laughs> England's group stage, I'd say. But um, yeah, you mentioned three games a day. We're actually on one of the days with no games. And I think tomorrow there's no games as well. And then it's back into the uh, knockout phases. But yeah, massive thanks for joining us, Joanna. We're going to, like I say, we're going to kind of touch on Liverpool's sort of transfer situation, which hasn't really kicked into gear um, as of yet. But we're going to delve a little bit deeper into what could happen and probably what should happen and have a general look at the season. Um, coming up and potentially who could be missing and where we need to strengthen, etc. So we'll start off with, we're going to discuss what is Liverpool's biggest priority. Um, probably after centre-back, which you've kind of already ticked with uh, Ibrahim Makanate signing, obviously. Um, so I'll come straight back to you on this, Joanna. Um, do you think we need another centre-half? It's probably the best place to start. But after that... We're probably looking at a Wijnaldum of a replacement and attacking reinforcements, I'd say. So where would you say is probably our biggest priority? On the centre-back front, I think I think we should be well covered. Um, you know, obviously last season we kind of got a red herring as to what could happen. But, you know, you have to kind of mm. have faith that it can't possibly happen again. Obviously, we'll have to balance how the three return. But... I think I'm quite comfortable with Kanate coming in and filling that brief. But looking to mm. midfield and, and forward, it's really hard. It's like, can I sit on the fence? Because you, you're kind of looking like at Genie Wijnaldum. Incredible, the level of, of availability he had. And then same when you think about the forwards, you know, we kind of got, well, what, what could have happened? Like if Mo Salah had a bad patch in the mm. middle of the season, I really dread to think where we'd be. So you're kind of looking at, well, we, we want both, don't we? But yeah. instinctually, I want to say forward, just because we need another another spark. The drop-off, again, is, is too vast from the front four now. And then, obviously, if we're looking to move on, Shakiri and Origi, that just, you have to replace it. And obviously, we know that mm. we're probably going to obviously have to sell to buy. But, yeah, it's got to be someone who can come on and make an impact off the bench uh, if we're going to compete for the title again, really. Yeah, and I think the problem is, like you touched upon there, we had a look at last season in terms of what could happen when you lose key players. And I think a lot of us, myself included, are fearing that in the same aspect this season, with whether it be forwards, like you touched on Salah having a bad patch, but imagine Salah or Mane or you know, got a bad injury and was out for a long period of time. And 
I think we've got a serious issue moving forward if that's the case. Um, I'll bring you in on it, Dave. Same same sort of questions, really. Do you think, obviously, with Van Dijk, Gomez and Matip coming back, we've got Kanate in, you know, you're looking at Ben Davis, potentially Nat Phillips could be leaving the club if you believe what we're reading this week. Do you think we're still at centre-back and where would you prioritise otherwise? Well, the first thing to say is that, you know, ideally we get both. The reason we're having this discussion is that there's a possibility we don't if, as has been reported, incoming second contingent on sales. And it's, you know, it's not exactly a seller's market at the moment, is it? So it's a kind of discussion worth having in terms of, you know, what the biggest concern is now after can I say it's come in. I think I was pretty adamant about the priority being another forward because of AFCON um, and, you know, facing the, the possibility of losing Salah and Mane for multiple weeks of the season um, at the turn of the year. Um, and when there's a title race, in all likelihood, with two outstanding teams in, in City and Chelsea, one which could be extremely close and very high level, that could be the difference, just that period. However, the fixtures obviously came out um, last week and I think it's been kind to us in two different ways, really. The first is that we only have in that period, I think Brentford, Crystal Palace and the FA Cup games. Uh, and also there's a game against Leicester three days after the final. Um, but, I mean, no one I'll look at will be an Egypt-Senegal final, but um, if it isn't that, then we should at least have one of them back for that game against Leicester. The second thing is that there's been an international break inserted at the end of January um, to allow some of the associations to catch up on World Cup qualifiers, um, which means they will miss one less game as well. So that's obviously a positive. Looking at midfield, though, I think it's probably been the one area where, on paper, we've actually had like excellent depth there for a good few years now. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Fabinho, Thiago and Henderson as first choice. I think we've only seen it once previously. I think that was in the derby. Um, but the level of depth that we actually have is arguably pretty deceiving in a way because we do have injury-prone players in there. So when Alden's gone now, obviously gone to PSG, you look at it and think we need to replace when Alden's minutes, you know, his durability, yeah. his constant availability. You know, you you can't really just be a bit precarious to be taking that out the side and not replace it. But do we also need to replace his skill sets as well? Because, you know, Wijnaldum had this inherently understated role in the team. And I think a consequence of that is we might not really fully appreciate how important he was to the function of the team until he's gone. And it wouldn't surprise me if if next season that kind of becomes part of the discourse if the team goes through a sticky patch of, you know, maybe Wijnaldum's influence was missed in these particular games. So all of that was kind of a very long-winded way of saying I don't know, <laughs> I don't know yeah, which difficult. which is the biggest priority. I mean, if you said to me now, we go when the deadline rolls around, which one would you kind of be more comfortable going without? It's if I had, I absolutely had to say, I'd probably say I'd be more comfortable going without a forward purely because I feel like the midfield area the vulnerability to the kind of injury pile-up we saw last season is a little bit greater, but it's very close. And I think Liverpool are taking a, a big chance if they 
aren't able to sort of fill both areas, really. Yeah, I, I think there's an argument to say it's more than a big chance, if I'm honest. I think it's quite naive if they don't. I mean, you, you mentioned the likes of the players who were missing there for periods. I mean, Henderson could be brought into that conversation as well, unfortunately. Like, he seems to be picking up half regular injuries these days. He's just got back from one. Um, but Cater and, and Oxley chamberlain just can't be relied upon. Like, read reports this week and the, the kind of counting on those two. To, to play more minutes and I just don't think you can we've seen over the duration of their Anfield careers you just can't um, so in my opinion a midfield is essential but at the same time a forward is also essential because like I touched upon earlier we pick up an injury to one of those three god forbid or four with Jota and then we've got a serious problem because a vegan Shakiri A might not be at the club and B unfortunately they've proven time and time again they're not up to the level consistently that we need. Um, I will bring Joanna back in and I will bring Curtis Jones into discussion as well. Um, he's kind of been touted, having played a decent role last season, as having an even more advanced role this season. Do you see him as someone who could step up to the mark a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I think he's shown in the games that he had that he has that ball retention skill that you would be losing with Wijnaldum. Obviously, he had that injury and then Klopp kind of resisted changing the team, so he couldn't quite get back into it at the end of the season. But I think you don't want to put too much pressure on his shoulders. He's still really young, but he definitely has shown that potential. And I think, you know, listening to you guys there, I was, obviously, we need both. And I'm in kind of the forward camp, but but when you kind of assess that, you don't want to put all that on on Jones. And, And yes, he can fill that role, but it'd be nice to see him develop alongside someone else as well. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes and how Klopp plays him because, as I say, he he was, he was definitely grew a lot last season. You could tell that his confident levels, which he didn't struggle with anyways, but it, it went through the roof and you could see each mistake he made, he learned from. I can't remember what game it was where he pinged the ball across the field, it went out and the team scored. I can't remember what, it was at Anfield. yeah. yeah. And you just went, oh, that could be like a really low moment. But I think he went on from that and, and it, he didn't let it phase him. And, and that's important, again, because we we will be competing for the title and, you, and that experience will be key. Um, so, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how Klopp uses him next season for sure. Yeah, it, it's someone we discussed quite a lot, kind of un, unknowingly on the pod, to be honest with you, Curtis Jones. Um, and in particular, kind of his change in role, because when he burst onto the scene, if you like, in that Merseyside derby, he was this goal-scoring youngster who come through the ranks and, and kind of shone, really, in an attacking sense. But as he developed under Klopp, you could see the defensive side of his game, like you touched upon, was getting better and better. And that's certainly something he'll have to bring if he's going to even come close to replacing Wijnaldum. So on that, I'll bring you in, Dave. On Curtis Jones in particular, but if we are talking about a Wijnaldum replacement, do you think we need to go... Obviously, we spoke about his minutes, but in terms of his style, do you think we need to go like for like, or do we need to get someone a little bit more adventurous? And I know he's adventurous for Holland, but he wasn't for Liverpool. So, the same player or someone a bit more attack-minded? Just on this Wijnaldum thing, like, it's a slight tangent, but it's a lot of talk about the difference in his roles and stuff and him not being allowed to express himself. But I don't know if you noticed this when Wijnaldum was playing for us. Um, Like, a lot of the time, the forward passes would be on. And, you know, Klopp's not going to say to Wijnaldum, 
not to pass the ball forwards, if you get if you get what I mean. Like he's no. obviously he knows his role and it's a mostly kind of defensive or, or middling role, if you like. But I do think there was kind of a natural caution that he, he kind of took on and he maybe could have come out of a shell a bit more. And he was also quite reluctant to shoot as well, strangely, given how prolific he was uh, for the Netherlands. So maybe that's something that you'd want to see more of, you know, just that little bit more. He's got a freedom, if you ask me, for Holland. He had, he, when I watched him for Holland, he had a genuine freedom to his play and he pops up in really advanced positions and take things on. Stuff that he just didn't do for us, apart from the Barcelona game, really. Yeah, stuff that he didn't do, but equally stuff that he had the opportunity to do more of, if you get what I mean. Mm. I think he, he yeah. was almost a little bit timid at times. And, you know, I do really like Wijnaldum and I've said that before. I think we're going to miss him probably more than we realise. But I think that's, yeah, something to maybe consider with uh, the player we bring in. But looking at Jones, I think we've kind of agreed on, on the podcast that he's probably our most improved player last season. And I think he took on a much bigger role than than anyone expected, um, partly because of injuries, to be fair. Um, probably a bigger role than he had anticipated or, or even Klopp as well as the fans. Mm. Um, and there were some games where, you know, he was excellent. Like, I think probably his best game of the whole season was Sheffield United away. Um, he's probably the, our best player on that day. Uh, and there was still... The thing is, on the other hand, there were quite a few matches where he didn't really have the impact he would have hoped for. Um, so we shouldn't kind of shy away from that because we're talking about someone here who, although he is young, is now in the first team conversation. So you are going to place quite you know a lot of demands on him. I think Joanna's already touched on this, but the main source of encouragement was the discipline he showed. And the game, mm. the game that you mentioned, Joanna, was uh, something I was going to bring up as well. That it was a game against West Brom, I'm pretty sure, just after Christmas. Um, and that was kind of the, the youthful recklessness moments, if you like. Um, but he does generally look like a much more well-rounded player. Um, and I think he Klopp placed more trust in him, particularly in the Champions League, because of that. So the quest, the question now with Jones is, can he consistently like make an imprint, make a mark on games at, at the highest level? Um, and it's hard to say, to be honest. Uh, generally, with young players, it is about taking that leap of faith with them and and saying, like, you know, giving them the, the greater role. I think from Jones's actual mm. point of view, he's going to view Wijnaldum's departure as an opportunity. And also, yeah. you know, you look at Keita, who would have started the 2021 season ahead of Jones in the packing order. But that game against Real Madrid, he barely featured after that, didn't he? So, yeah, he's probably now potentially even below Jones in the second order. So that boosts Jones' prospects further. Um, so really, if Liverpool don't actually recruit a midfielder, they do favour a forward, and that proves to be their transfer policy. I think one of the ways to interpret that is it is a pretty big show of faith in Jones to to take on that greater role. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, we will move on to the forward area, just so I want to touch on a little bit more on that in a second. But just to mention Keita there, he is probably the most frustrating Liverpool player I've seen in sort of the past decade, um, to be honest with you, because there's obviously a player in there somewhere we just literally haven't seen it yet. All the talk is that they're going to stick with him and they're going to give him what seems like yet another chance. But I hope more than anyone that it does come good. I just... 
have serious reservations whether it will. And I just want to say that the ideal midfield three that you touched upon before, I can't wait to see that more. I think it, it was the Merseyside derby of Goodison. We've seen it for the first time and that would be incredible. If we can get that midfield three out enough times this season, I think we'll be there or thereabouts, definitely. I was just going to add on that yeah, midfield. That I think it's got, obviously, Fabinho is right up there in terms of the... Defensive, the yeah, yeah. And then Henderson, you provides the athleticism, really, and he's also, you know, very good at kind of moving the ball on, um, yeah. setting the tempo, all that sort of thing. And then, obviously, Thiago is kind of the, the player who can really provide the, the quality yeah. in there and that kind of um, that forward incisive pass. So I think it, yeah, I think it could potentially be an all-time midfield if it can, um, if it can stay fit. Definitely. Well, Thiago not having to run around as much and make as many reckless tackles yeah, that's true. is a daunting prospect for the rest of the <laughs> Premier League because we all seen his tackle last year at times. It was a bit, left a little bit to be desired, I reckon. Um, like I say, we'll, I do just want to get onto the forwards a little bit more before we kind of wrap up this little section. Um, so we've got the forward options here, and we've actually missed one out, and we're going to talk about him in a second. But obviously, as a front three, as we know, Jota, Shakiri, Origi, potentially, potentially not. And then Harvey Elliott coming back is one I want to discuss. And Takumi Minamino coming back is another one because... You know, again, the talk kind of coming out is that he will be involved in some shape or form, certainly in pre-season. So, Joanna, I wanted to get your opinion, particularly on the last two, really. Harvey Elliott's potential role and whether Takumi Minamino's got a future at Liverpool. I think Elliott's shown that versatility at Blackburn to be able to play in the attacking, kind of most of the attacking roles, which is an exciting prospect. And he's... He's, he's like in the Jones ilk in terms of the confidence is clearly absolutely no yeah. issue for him, which is is exactly what you want to see, especially for a club like Liverpool. You have to have that kind of swagger. And yeah, I think we've seen that Elliot definitely has that. And, you know, he's spoken a lot about having the likes of Milner and, and to look up to. And having those in those with him week in and week out is only going to serve him. And I think... I think obviously he'll get a he'll get a look in this preseason when you know we've got the forwards, um, particularly obviously Firmino will be a late returnee to to, to, to training, mm. and he'll get a look in. Same with Minamino, and I think if you were to say if I was to say right now I would give Elliot the shot over Minamino simply because of the ceiling. I think you can kind of see that Elliot's kind of on an upward trajectory, and I'm not saying Minamino's not, but his confidence has been knocked and. It, and having to kind of prove himself again and again, it does take its toll. Um, and mm. pace-wise, I'd say obviously Elliot's probably slightly faster, stronger. Um, I think Minamino gets knocked a bit for for his strength when you when you watched in the first half of the season. He's clearly got the skill there, but just the physicality of the game here, mm. he hasn't quite got to grips with. Um, obviously, the Southampton loan would have helped a bit, but. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say that Elliot probably has my kind of vote if if I had to choose between the two as to who I'd like to see given the most opportunities for sure. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. To be honest with you, I think Minamino started really brightly at Southampton, but again, it just kind of 
just kind of petered out into nothing for him. And I feel he doesn't need my sympathy, but I do feel half sorry for him for the situation that he's <laughs> come into, like, you know, into the into a new league, new country in the middle of the situation the world is in and things just haven't gone for him at all. Um, Dave, I, I want to get your opinion on the same too, really. I'm with Joanna in terms of, I think Harvey Elliott's seriously exciting and I'm not confident in terms of him being a genuine option, but I think we're going to see a hell of a lot of him and I kind of hope that's the case. Um, and also on whether Minamino is going to be a Liverpool player come September. Well, you will have noticed, Dan, that on our episode episode plan, I've actually forgot to include his name, um, which is... Pretty, I thought that was pretty telling, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it's pretty... Te- it's pretty that damning um, against both Minamino <laughs> and, and me, really, uh, to, to forget him. But I think it does, if I'm giving myself an excuse for that, I'm saying that does kind of reflect how that spell at Southampton did peter out. I think it's mm. actually quite damning that he's not going to be joining permanently because I think from Southampton's point of view, if he'd performed you know, at a, at a solid level, they would have said, if we give Liverpool any, around 15 million, they're going to take it because it's a significant profit and Liverpool will look, yeah. look at that and say, you know what, move didn't work out, but it was a decent business for us in the end. The fact that that's not happened uh, doesn't reflect well. And I'm seeing a lot in the reports. Clearly, the Liverpool have told the media that the plan is to reintegrate Minamino into the side and give him an mm-hmm. opportunity next season. I... I'm kind of sceptical of that. I do think he's one of those players who, if a good offer is received, I don't think we're going to stand in his way whatsoever. Um, I really hope he does succeed. And I do think we will look back to his strange lack of involvement after the best game he had for us um, against Crystal Palace. Uh, yeah. If you're kind of looking to defend him slightly, but as, as you can tell from my episode plan, I don't really view him <laughs> as a huge part of the, the conversation. But looking at looking at the front three, like I guess before I come on to Elliot, you know, looking at Afcon, which I think is almost like the main one of the main arguments behind the need to recruit another forward for the second consecutive summer. Obviously, if you have Jota, Firmino, and Shakiri slash Elliot as a front line for games against Brentford and Palace, it looks it sounds decent, doesn't it? Like. Mm. and it lo- looks all right on paper, but I think there's two things you have to consider. One of them is that those three players probably really have like an, an understanding amongst themselves, certainly not compared to Firmino, Salah and Mane, who is pretty much telepathic with at this stage, and you can't just expect it to click, um, especially if they don't really see much game time together in the first part of the season. Mm. Um, I think the, the second point is, Salah and Mane are two of the players that the team is built around kind of from a stylistic point of view. So it will actually cause quite a lot of disruption for those matches. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to say now whether it's a it's a do or die kind of situation because you think if it is only going to be two Premier League matches potentially that it's, it might not in itself be the difference. But as you say, obviously injuries and, and the like can, can factor into it. Um, with Elias, I do hope he stays. Um, you know, obviously we spoke to that Blackburn journalist yeah. um, a couple of months back, and everything from that was you know only adding to the excitement. 
So I do think he's mm. he's good enough to skip what would be the logical next step of a loan in the Premier League mm. or a loan in another another top league. Um, but it's really hard to predict what we're going to do. I think if there's no indication that we're trying to arrange a loan, or more so if we reject any loan offers that we do get, then that tells you that he's viewed as someone whose involvement will exceed purely run-outs in the cup. Yeah. Because from our point of view, if the plan, if, he, if that was his only realistic chance of game time, we're going to loan him out and you'd probably say, fair enough, if that was the case, because keeping him and only playing them against, you know, Championship League One teams um, occasionally is only going to slow his development down. Whereas if you keep him and you're saying he's going to get decent minutes in the Premier League, uh, then it's like, well, you know what? Maybe alone isn't the best option. Maybe we can fast track him a bit. So that's, it's, as I say, it's hard to predict, but um, I think it will be it will be quite telling. So we'll see what the club do with that. As I say, though, I would be someone who'd be in favour of, of keeping him around. Hmm. For me, looking at it in, in like the most layman terms possible, I think Elliot should be the Shakiri replacement. I think positionally, like like Joanna touched upon, Elliot can play in very similar roles to Shakiri. Um, and we need to sell Dibakarigi and buy a much improved replacement on him. That's the most basic way I can look at the forward situation, to be honest. Um, obviously, keep the others around in Minamino. And probably a sell. I don't see it working for him at Liverpool, to be honest. Um, but yeah, Elliot for Shakiri, and then just buy a better version of Divakarigi. And yeah. I mean better. I yeah. mean better by that. Um, I just want to round off this little section before we move on to a potential outgoing, really. Um, and we started the section by saying, what would you prefer us to sign or otherwise? Um, and I want to get a definitive answer from both of you before we move on. So, Joanna, what we what we signing? Oh God, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna lock in a forward. Okay, lock. good. Yeah, no, I like that, Dave. I'll set it up for you to decide. I'm, go, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say midfielder purely because um, of how kind the fixture schedule has been and Afcon proving potentially much less disruptive mm-hmm. than I feared it would yeah. be. Okay, well, I kind of set myself up for the answer a minute ago. Um, mine is a forward to replace Origi, to be honest. Um, ever the optimist, I just don't think we can have the injury crisis touching all the wood available to me at the minute that we had last year. Um, and that midfield three we spoke about, supplemented by Jones, Oxley chamberlain and Cater every now and then, should be, six centre midfielders should be enough, shouldn't it? Surely. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to say a forward. And how often it and how often it will actually be six though and not just four. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And I'll probably kick myself for saying it if they listen to me and do buy a forward and not a midfielder. Um but yeah, we've got to move on now to a potential outgoing. Um this kind of came out of the blue, I thought, this week, to be honest with you. I think there were some like loan reports and the, the noise kind of was that we were going to reject loan offers and we weren't going to sell, but Nico Williams currently away with Wales, um, having a whale of a time by the looks of it. Um, basically, the report was this week that he wants first team football and he's not going to get it at Liverpool for obvious reasons that we'll come on to. So, we're not going to stand in his way by the looks of it for 10 million, is the fee spoken about. So, I want to get the early thoughts on that. I'll come, I'll come to you, Joanna, straight away. Um, 10 million for Nico Williams. Can you blame us or him? 
No, not at all. I think we've obviously shown a trend of, of bringing in the, the young right backs and kind of selling them on. It's kind of hard to displace Trent. I think he's missed 16 games in the last two seasons. And I know Klopp said last summer that you can't play him 50-odd times a year. But And obviously our crisis didn't help that last year. But you can't displace him. Um, and you can't expect a replacement to come in that's you know going to be an experienced one. We're not going to spend lots of cash on a, on a position no. where we've got that first team starter locked in. So you can't blame Nico for wanting that that first team experience because he clearly can see that the pathway is not going to open up anytime soon. Um, and 10 million for him, you know, can then go to, to another player that, you know, that we've talked about in midfield or yeah. in forward. Um, yes, yeah, so you really can't blame him. And, you know, following in, in Hoover's footsteps when he went to Wolves last year, which was also kind of like came out of the, out of the blue, um, mm. But, you know, they're young kids and, and they want to play. They've seen what Trent's done. They've seen what others have done. And, and clearly the pathways can be opened. I think it speaks volumes of Liverpool's academy, first and foremost, that, you know, these players keep on coming through um, and that they're available to Klopp and they're, they're willing to play them. Um, but, yeah, I would, if if it lines up the right club for, for Nico, we get the money, then, yeah, I'm, I'm saying, you know, you might as well shake on it. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that either, to be honest. I think he's done pretty well at times. He had his moments, I think, the Brighton game away last year. He gave away a penalty. He was kind of lamented a little bit for that, probably harshly, because he is a young lad. But, you know, we'll, we'll touch on the Trent thing in a bit more detail in a second. But you know, he's looking at that and thinking, the only way I'm getting to go here in the next decade is if Trent moves into midfield, probably. Um, and that's just pure chance and he just can't wait because he's a good enough player to be playing regular first team football somewhere. So I want to get your thoughts initially on the potential move, Dave. Um, and I know another one's come out this week about Nat Phillips as well. But Liverpool have basically kind of said what Joanna just said there in terms of not signing a replacement and instead looking to use Joe Gomez at right back, which I'm not a fan of. Or I think it's Connor Bradley, 17-year-old, um, recently made his debut for Northern Ireland, I believe. So, yeah, your thoughts, Dave. Well, that media brief about Gomez and Bradley sounds a lot like like vintage Liverpool, the kind of thing that is used to throw kind of the media off the trail. If that's genuinely our, our stance, I would be worried by it. Like Gomez obviously has experience of playing full back. I think he actually started a Liverpool career there and he's mm. you know played a few more games there over the years. And he does, you know, to be fair, get up and down the flank when he plays there but he never really looks like he's going to impact the game in the final third, and he visibly does look out of position. And I don't know if that's just because he's, you know, played so many games at centre-back forwards now, but it doesn't look really doesn't really look right. Um, Milner, I think, is probably slightly more suited to a full-back role, but again, I'm not sure how effective he is. Williams, I think, was... He's kind of a very active player, and he was taking up the right positions we would get balls into the box. But in terms of technique, execution, and also the kind of confidence he played with, there was a huge deficit. Like, I think Williams looked a little bit, he, he kind of looks a little bit skittish in a way uh, when he played. Like, he's slightly afraid to make a mistake and you don't really want that. Um, mm. In the young player, you kind of want that kind of swagger about them, if you like. I can't say I know much about Bradley, um, to be honest. It's certainly a very good sign that he's being mentioned for such an important role already and that obviously um, Northern Ireland have been impressed, but as a viable backup option, it's it's too soon for that, isn't it? Like, 
Um, so, so yeah, I, I think if, if Williams was to go, we're gonna we're gonna come on to this next, obviously. But I think a a proper replacement will will be needed. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because like like we kind of touched upon, um, how do you get or how do you bring someone in to to basically tell them they're going to sit behind Trent for the next decade? Um, and it's the same with Tamikas really on the other side. Like, I know Robertson's a little bit older than Trent, so it's a slightly different situation. But you know how how do you go about that? How do you sell it to someone? You have to be the most versatile player ever, similar to James Milner probably who's capable of playing right back, but also fills lots of other positions. So, yeah, if you want to if you want to kind of enlighten us, David, to how you'd go about signing a potential backup right back. Well, what I was going to say was, um, Joanna mentioned actually about, about Hoover, and he looked mm. really good, and I think he's looked pretty decent for, for Wolves as well. I remember his, his debut at Old Trafford. He was impressive. I think maybe now we start, if he does go, we're starting to potentially slightly regret that because I think he's got a great future ahead of him versatile and has that confidence that that Williams doesn't have so in terms of a replacement I think it's obviously very tricky because not only is Trent one of the first names on the team she's but he's also so young that there's kind of no prospect of displacing like if it was like a veteran say like at Everton you have Coleman for example um, and a young right back would say yeah, maybe it's the game time's a bit limited for the next year or two, but I'm kind of the long-term option. It's not like that, Liverpool. Um, so for me, the answer is to is to look for that kind of versatility. And we kind of saw this with, with Jota. So remember for years, we'd speak about how hard it was to recruit another quality attacking player when we had one of the best front lines in world football. We were saying, like, who's going to want to come in and just be the understudy for Salvador Mane? Um but what we did get was someone who could play across the front line and that kind of arrangement suited both the player and the club because it opened up so many more opportunities for minutes. Um, so what I think we do, and this kind of almost wraps up the episode nicely in a way, is if we try and kind of kill two birds with one stone and bring in a central midfielder by trade who can also excel at fullback, um, obviously the criteria for that is going to deliver very few candidates who are actually viable or of the level. But think of someone, to prove that it is possible, think of someone like James Ward-Prowse. So mm. he's, a, he's a really good player. Uh, partly because he's English, I think he's going to be really expensive. I think Aston Villa found that um, when they put some inquiries for him. Um, so I couldn't necessarily see it being a move Liverpool would explore. But he's played both of those roles, like obviously central midfielder normally, but I think in the 1920s season, he did spend a decent amount of time at right back. And uh, I think he played there at Anfield, actually. Um, they lost 4 0, but Tommy <laughs> it wasn't his fault. Manny, Manny had a field day. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, Ward Prowse is a good example because he has that kind of wicked delivery in the manner of Trent. And it's kind of one of the best in the league. So ideally, he could get, if he wasn't English, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd be all over that. probably about half the price that he actually is. Mm. But obviously the, the taxation applies. I think it actually, the kind of central midfield versatile option works especially well for Trent because, as you alluded to earlier, Dan, he has the skill set of a midfielder and that's why it's been a recurring discussion over the past couple of years. He is almost, you could describe him as a midfielder playing at right back. 
in terms of the passing range he has and the capacity to dictate games from that position. So I think that would be actually quite a shrewd avenue for us to explore because you'd get not only another body in the middle of the park, but someone who can play fullback as well and limit the damage caused by a lengthy absence to Alexander-Arnold because, let's face it, we've talked about Salah and Mane getting injured or and we saw last season the effects of, of Van Dijk getting injured. But there's a Trent injury, a long-term Trent injury. I know Joanna rightly points out that he hasn't missed too many games. But, you know, if he did, then that has the potential to derail a title bid as well, or even more than a title bid. Like, he's absolutely integral uh, to this team, like, almost as much, if not just as much, as players like Van Dijk, Allison, um, Fabinho such and such. So I, it is absolutely critical. I think that would be the solution I try to explore. And we know Liverpool have tended to be quite intelligent in the market. So I'd be really pleased if we if we tried to pull something like that off. Yeah, I think it's a great show. Um, one thing that sprung to mind was Stuart Dallas a minute ago. Um, I know it's someone you kind of had in mind too. Because um, I think the only way I can see us doing it is by doing exactly what you just said. Because signing someone in the same mould as Nico Williams, who is an out-and-out right-back, to say, listen, you're going to come and you're going to sit behind Trent. I just think it's impossible. It's an impossible sell to anyone because um, no one's going to come and just want to play cup minutes and what have you and wait potentially for Trent to get substituted, etc. It's just not feasible. So I think a versatile player, ideally a centre-mid who can do I know Fabinho's played right-back in the past in his Monaco days. It's not something we've ever seen at Liverpool. Yeah, I'm not sure um, he's going to be with, getting to the byline and whipping crosses in, though. I just, no, I far really from it. it. Yeah, <laughs> and I've not, I, I've not ever seen him do it, but I know he did. If something he did, and it was kind of muted when he signed, that was something he was capable of. But yeah. having watched him play since he arrived, I'm not convinced by that myself. And that would also leave a huge Fabinho-shaped hole in midfield. Um, just wanted to get very, very, very briefly. Um, touch on something that happened today um, and Kelleher signed the new deal I want to get Joanna in on it before we finish um, in signing a new deal that's obviously great news but it was also pretty much confirmed that he's number two ahead of uh, Adrian um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it had to be the case, didn't it? I know there was suggestions that, you know, if they, that Kelleher would go out on loan, get that experience, yeah. and Adrian would move back up. But I think I think everyone kind of rightly had reservations about that just from what we've seen. And clearly Adrian's happy to kind of, you know, push them along in training and, and mm. offer that kind of third option, you know. Obviously, yeah. the, the, the annoying thing is that Alisson has had injuries in the last couple of seasons. Seems like really odd ones picked up, obviously, apart from the start of the title winning season with his calf, but, you know, kind of training ground collisions and you're thinking, what are they doing out there? <laughs> um, but, you know, to have Kelleher and not Adrian as the one that would come in is kind of, it's, it makes you feel a lot more comfortable. You know, when he came in during the season, Champions League games, Premier League games, I wasn't having a heart attack when the ball was coming his way. And that's that's massive for us. You know, we've not had, apart from Alisson, much luck in that arena. So I think... He's definitely worthy. He's shown that athletic ability. He's really calm, really composed, quick reactions. Um, watched him make his island debut the other week. And yeah. again, nothing faced him, full crowd, just, you know, as, as calm as you like. And, and that's what you want from, it, from a young keeper who's learning off the very best. And uh, it's a good sign that we're wanting to keep him around um, and, and keep Adrian kind of away. <laughs> <laughs> 
as far away from the fuzzy bridge as possible. No, I agree. Um, I think it's a really smart move. Um, a bit of a no-brainer, but having said that, there were reports that we were potentially going to let him go out alone. Um, Dave, just to finish on that, uh, I presume you echo Joanna's joy that Adrian probably won't feature much next season. Well, I prefer not to speak. Yeah, I like Keller. I think he... In December, I want to say, I think he was the one called upon to replace Alisson when he got injured. That was kind of the yeah. moment when the, the change in the, the packing order was confirmed. I think he did really well. Yeah, brilliant. Well, that is about all we've got time for. But as ever, we're going to give our customary chance to the guest to plug anything. The Twitters will be on the bio as ever. Um, but I just want to say thanks as well um, to Joanna for coming on. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm finally got it sorted uh, that you came on this week so much appreciated and if you want to plug anything now's your chance yeah well firstly thanks for having me guys appreciate it and good to have a chat about the reds while we're uh, away and watching the euros and internationals but um yeah i'll just say kind of the only thing to plug check out this Anfield um throughout the summer and into the season um lots of lots of stuff going on lots of things to look forward to hopefully as we we've been discussing some some nice transfers coming our way which would be lovely uh you know they would be nice to have obviously tied up kind of at the start of pre-season so yeah go and check this is Anfield out yeah good I think Liverpool tends to a club tends to want his business done pretty pretty swiftly as we've seen with Canate one so hopefully next few weeks do start getting busy um Dave anything to add before we leave well I'm kind of excitedly thinking to myself that I should write I should write a full-on article about this centre midfield right back solution so um <laughs> I presume you've already started well I'm I think I'm going to start scribbling some notes down now after we finish because um, I'm really I'm patting myself on the back for that idea but whether it's actually possible is another thing um, yeah the only thing I wanted to say was uh, the last episode we did about the Scouts Not English ideas has done has done really well um, mm-hmm. so I was quite pleased with that and obviously the thing about that episode is people can go back to it at any point um, and listen to it so if you are listening to this and you haven't heard that then it, you know I'd urge you to, to put it on at some point um, especially during the Euros, because it does kind of have a, a really kind of in-depth and, and serious look at why a lot of people from Liverpool feel that way. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I wanted to say. Yeah, good. It definitely resonates, like I say, with a lot of people. And I've had people messing me since, actually, not from Liverpool, but Liverpool fans kind of, they understand where Liverpool fans are coming from a little bit more, I'd say. Um, but yeah, no, that is all we've got time for. We'll be back next week, and we're going to delve into... Transfer targets a little bit more than general specifics this week. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>